Well, happy Mother's Day to all of you moms. Uh, I hope that you are feeling extra appreciation and love from your kids today. Motherhood is definitely an honorable calling that I have the privilege of seeing lived out by my own wonderful mom and the incredible uh, mother of my children. Uh, Both of these women have modeled godly character as mothers, and it is so encouraging to see the image of God displayed right before my eyes in this way. I am truly blessed to have these women in my life. And one of the strengths of these moms that I have been so impressed by is their commitment to prayer. Um, My mom prays for me every single day, and I know that God has heard and answered her prayers in many ways throughout my life. Uh, She has had a lot to pray about. I have given her many reasons to be on her knees. (laughs) As a child, I was known and greeted by name in the emergency room of our local hospital. And it seems that uh, in spite of the hopes that we had um, through adopting our sons that we would avoid this trait, uh, our youngest seems poised to follow in my footsteps and give his mother plenty to pray about. Um, I got home from church on Tuesday afternoon and I was greeted at the door by my two six-year-olds, Liam and Jude, who frantically informed me and that their brother, Asher, who is three years old, had split his head open, and that there was blood all over the place. (laughs) And of course, it was not nearly as dramatic as they made it out to be, but Asher had indeed fallen and split his forehead open, and so I loaded him up and took him to the emergency room at the nearby hospital, where he received six stitches to close things back up again. And to my delight, our names were not even in the system at that hospital. (laughs) So clearly Asher isn't quite the concern that I already was at his age. Uh, Only Liam and Jude had actually seen what happened when he fell. And so we were questioning uh, questioning Asher about what he had done. And said, Asher, did you try try to climb over the baby gate? Yes, he said. I better not do that again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, moms, you know the necessity of praying for your children. And that act of prayer brings you closer to God as together you share the desire to see your child, God's creation, flourish in life. You share the desire to see those children protected, provided for, and given everything that they need to thrive in every way. And as children, we experience the loving care of our Heavenly Father as it is poured out on us through the prayers of our moms. Prayer has so much value. Prayer is one of the most encouraging and powerful things that we can do for each other. It's hard for me to describe the feeling I get when I discover that someone has been praying for me specifically and personally. Uh, I know instantly that on some significant level, I am loved. I've known the experience of having been prayed into the life of another. I will never forget standing in the crowded lobby of our last church in Canada with an elderly woman that I had never met before. She was in tears as she celebrated the answer to the prayers that she had been faithfully praying for years that God would send a believer into the life of the son of a close family friend. And I had just become good friends through our college class with the young man that she had been praying for so faithfully. God had moved me into place as a response to this woman's prayers. And I had the extreme honor of seeing and being the outcome of her prayers. Prayer is also one of the most powerful things that we can do with each other. There's a whole different level of intimacy 
between believers when we pray together. And it's not just the intimacy that we share with each other, it's our intimacy with God as well. Together, you stand at the door of heaven and knock. What a great way to build relationships. I have a friend who's very intentional about us ending our times together with prayer, and that has given me a deeper level of appreciation and love for this man. And prayer is one of the most effective things that we can do to build unity among us. It's pretty hard for division to take hold when God's people are praying together. Same thing applies to our marriages. That's how Kim and I end every day, and I can't imagine not having that experience at the end of the day. Prayer is a bond that every couple should share. So we lay in bed at night and we together thank God for the day and for his many blessings on our lives. And yes, sometimes we struggle with the fatigue that comes at the end of the day. Uh, The other night we were praying and and Kim already had one foot in dreamland. (laughs) She was praying for me uh, that God would make tomorrow a zesty day for me. So the three of us shared a a good laugh at the end of the day, and then we prayed that Asher would grow some common sense. It's one thing to pray with and for each other. It is quite another thing to realize that Jesus, the Son of Almighty God, is interceding on our behalf. Do you ever contemplate that? You ever stop to think that Jesus is right now standing before the throne of God on your behalf? Listen to the words of Hebrews 7, verse 25. Therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. And Romans eight thirty four confirms this reality. Who then will condemn us? Not one For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. And this is really a post-resurrection message. Christ died, was resurrected and returned to heaven to be reunited with his father. Now what is he doing? He's praying for us. He died for us, was raised for us and is pleading for us right now. There was a Scottish pastor back in the 1800s named Robert McChain who is known to this day for designing a plan for reading through the Bible in a year. And he once wrote this, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. How's that for perspective? Are any of us truly aware that Christ is praying for us at any given moment. Most of us have had the experience of someone praying for us in our presence. Someone sits beside us, bringing us and our needs before the Lord. It is a very profound moment. We're being brought before the throne of God by a brother or sister. Uh, The team that went to Haiti recently expressed some thoughts about this, uh, about that time that they they were standing in a circle with the Haitians down there, praying for each other. And even in a language they did not understand, that prayer had an impact on them. But how real is it to us that Jesus is doing this very thing for us right now? And this was a challenge and an encouragement to me this week. I had to ask myself if I truly live in the reality 
that Jesus is right now making intercession on my behalf. He is speaking now, even as I speak. He is pleading with the Father for me. How indeed, then, can I fear anything or anyone? There is no way that God can ignore the prayers of his Son. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will not let up. Your name and mine are on his lips, and the ears of the Father are taking in every word. What a beautiful picture that is. Let's go now to the event that pressed me to, to preach this series. As I was preparing for the Easter season, for the Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday services, I wanted to read again through the whole story surrounding the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I, I wanted to take in the whole picture before I settled on what aspects of the story I'd focus on. And so I backed up to Palm Sunday and the days between then and Good Friday. So go with me now to John chapter 18. And you're going to need a Bible for this, so if you don't have one, just raise your hand and the ushers will get you one. Um, bring your Bibles with you to church. We use them a lot, and we're going to use them throughout the summer as we go through the book of Ephesians. In your program, in your bulletin, you received um, uh, an insert that has a reading schedule on it for the book of Ephesians. And that'll get you through the book of Ephesians three times between now and when we start that series. And I'd love it if you would read each of those sections of Ephesians three times during their assigned week. I've uh, included a place where you can check those readings off or write down the date that you read them if you'd like to. But do your homework. We'll be ready to explore the book of Ephesians together this summer. It's an amazing letter. So on to John chapter 18. Look at the first few verses of John 18 with me to get an idea of where we're at in the story. John 18, beginning at verse 1. When he, when Jesus had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. So you get an idea where we are. This is just before Jesus is arrested and led away to be crucified. That's what's about to happen, and Jesus knows it. So back up now to the beginning of chapter 17, the beginning of John 17. I want to read the whole chapter together. Because this is the text for the series that we're going to preach for the next few weeks. And we'll focus mostly on the last part of this chapter, but I want to look at the whole thing together first. Now remember that this is Jesus speaking to his father. He's about to be handed over to be crucified, betrayed by a friend, soon to be abandoned by nearly all the rest of his friends. He knows what's ahead. He knows that he's going to have to suffer immensely. He knows that he's going to die. He knows that he'll have to endure separation from his father, the ultimate punishment for the sake of his creation. And there is no way that we can put ourselves in his shoes. But it would do us well to try to understand even just a bit of what must have been going through his mind at this time. The words he spoke to his father about taking the cup from him if it's possible, those make sense. Those make sense. He was greatly troubled about what lay ahead. But the words that Jesus speaks in John chapter 17 defy all logic for me. 
They are words that come from somewhere other than just the thoughts of one who's about to suffer immeasurable pain. They come from a place of deep, deep love. They come from the spirit of Jesus Christ. And they're spoken on our behalf. And that is amazing. Amazing because he prays generous words of love towards us, the ones for whom he was about to suffer. It's hard to believe that anyone could do this. So John chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth, your word of truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me 
may be in them and that I myself may be in them. What an incredible expression of sacrificial love this is. And it absolutely stuns me that Jesus would pause on the brink of his lowest moment and lift us up to the Father. Jesus could see beyond the sin that separated us from God, knowing that he would take care of that sin once and for all. Now I could easily picture him praying for forgiveness at this point. He was about to suffer for our sins. But he prayed for forgiveness in an even more intense moment while he hung on the cross. He could have prayed for mercy. He could have prayed that God would spare mankind in spite of all the things that have gone wrong. And instead, he sees beyond the cross and he prays for three general themes. And I want to look at those briefly with you. The first of these themes is protection. Jesus prays for our protection for protection for his disciples, for those who have been given him by his Father. In verse 11, he says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. In verse 15, he prays, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. He knew that temptation and opposition and persecution would all come for his disciples then and for us today. So he prays that in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it, God would protect us. There's a, <clears throat> a tradition that was carried out by some of the early Native American tribes here that speaks to this protection in a vivid way for me. Uh, certain tribes had a unique practice for training young men. On the night of a boy's 13th birthday, after learning hunting, scouting, and fishing skills, he was put to one final test. He was placed in a dense forest to spend the entire night alone. Until then, he had never been away from the security of his family and tribe. But on this night, he was blindfolded and taken several miles away. When he took off the blindfold, he was in the middle of a thick forest and was naturally terrified. With every noise, he visualized some wild animal poised to attack. After what seemed like an eternity, dawn broke and the first rays of sunlight entered the forest. Looking around, the boy saw the environment he had spent the night in. And then, to his utter amazement, he beheld the figure of a man standing just a few yards away, armed with a bow and arrow. It was the boy's father, and he had been there the whole night. And as God's beloved children, we have the assurance ahead of time of knowing that our father is there to protect us at all times. How do we know this? Because Jesus prayed this for us, and his father answered those prayers. Second theme in Jesus' prayer for his disciples is that God would sanctify us. Look again at verses 17 through 19. He says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus expects his disciples to be in the world, but not of the world. And so he prays that in this worldly environment, we would be sanctified now, the word sanctified here means to be made holy, and being made holy means to be set apart. Jesus wants us to be set apart from the world for the sake of his purposes. We were meant to be different. If sin had never entered the world, the world would be a very different place, but this world has been tainted by the curse that came with the fall of man. We live in a cursed world, 
And Jesus is praying that we would be set apart in this world as those who represent what this world was created to be in the first place before the fall and what this world will be restored to at the return of Christ. God's plan is to use the misfits to bring his message to this world. And so I gladly embrace the fact that I don't fit in here. I want to fit into to represent a place that is much greater than what I see around me. So God's desire is to use us for his purpose of restoring his creation. But something has to happen to the instruments that God desires to use for his purposes. Those instruments have to be consecrated. They have to be set apart. They have to be sanctified. Now, in some traditions, the dishes used in the celebration of communion have to be ceremonially washed, consecrated, before they can be used in the communion service. It can't just be any plate or cup. Those used have a very specific purpose, and so it is with us and with our lives. We are set apart by God for a very special purpose, to carry out his plan for our lives and his kingdom. He has a purpose for us. So he sanctifies us by his truth, by his word. This process of sanctification is rooted in obedience, our obedience to God's truth. And Jesus is praying that as his spirit writes his truth on our hearts, and on our minds, we'll be set apart by obedience to that truth for the purposes of God. He's praying that God speaks truth into our lives, and through our obedience to that truth, we'll be prepared to be used by him for his purposes. And Jesus spoke here in his prayer of his own life, how he himself was obedient to his Father's word, and he was therefore set apart for the work that God gave him to do. He's praying that same thing happens in each one of us. The third theme of Jesus' prayer is that of unity. And throughout this prayer, Jesus brings us to the issue of unity. Look at verse 11 with me. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Now go to verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, he says. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Well, you can't miss Christ's strong desire in this prayer. He's praying that we would be one, that we would be unified. And next Sunday, we're going to look at what that means for us. He's talking about unity among us, his disciples, so we really do need to pay attention to this. Jesus took time right before his crucifixion to make his request known to his Father, and his most obvious request in this prayer is that we would be one, so we'll commit the sermon next Sunday to that picture. But I had a fresh look at this prayer this week and really got stuck on something. And that's what I want to look at as we wrap this message up. Jesus' desire was that we will be one as he and his Father are one. He stated that a few times in the verses that we just looked at. 
Now, the easiest interpretation of those verses is to see that Jesus wants us to be unified and then to set about doing things that will create a sense of unity among us. And there certainly are things that we can be doing that will create an environment of unity, of oneness here at Chapel Hill Church. And we will indeed look at some of those things next week. But I believe the response, that kind of response does not capture the fullness of Christ's request. He asked his Father to make us one as he and his Father are one. Now here's where I got stuck. Did Jesus seriously believe that we could share among us the kind of unity that he enjoys with God? That seems so far-fetched. Honestly, it seems impossible to me. Can Peter and I experience that kind of oneness that God and Jesus experience? Well, maybe, as long as Peter understands that I'm God and he's the son. <clears throat> Kidding. Can my wife and I experience that kind of oneness? Can our families, can our small groups, can our staff, surely not our elders board, yet Jesus boldly and repeatedly states his request for us to be one as he and his father are one. So my vision is being challenged this morning and I want to challenge yours as well. If Jesus Christ prayed this, it has to be possible. If Jesus Christ could picture this kind of unity being experienced through his followers, we must be able to picture it as well. And I will confess that my mind is having a hard time with this right now. For 45 years, I have been a pastor's son. And as a pastor's son, I've been very close to the church, to the body of Christ. And I have seen many things. This oneness that Jesus prayed about is not something that I have seen very often. Division, I have seen a lot of. Surface behavior-driven attempts at unity have been plentiful. But the kind of oneness that Jesus is praying for, rare at best. Churches that my father has been called to lead throughout his career have been churches where division has taken a severe toll. And God has brought my father into those situations to be used to restore and to heal because God loves his church. Jesus Christ is madly in love with his bride. And one of Christ's deepest expressions for us, his bride, was when he prayed for us. There's so much he could have prayed for. There's so much that he could have asked for that we could just program into our ministries and check off his list. But he prayed for something that was being achieved in the relationship that he had with his father. It's no small vision there. That is a God-sized vision, and it is Christ's vision for Chapel Hill Church. I'm going to ask you to do some homework this week, and it's not just reading the first section of the book of Ephesians. That's easy. It's important, but it's easy. That summer series is going to be entitled My Life, His Church. 
and you will love your journey through that letter that Paul wrote. My bigger challenge for you this week is this. I want you to wrestle with the idea of our relationships with each other being an experience on the level of Christ's relationship with his Father. What does his relationship with his Father look like? And what does that say to us? Will you let God expand your vision for his family? And will you start a habit of praying that we will be one as Jesus and his Father are one? Start praying for this daily. Join with Christ in his prayer for us. Jesus paused on the way to the cross to pray for our protection, our sanctification, and our unity. How much easier will it be for us to pause on our way to work, to school, to church, or even to bed and pray that we will be one as Jesus and his Father are one. And may God answer those prayers as we do.